Coming to you live from the basement of an abandoned house in the middle of a field, it's the Derek Izzy Show. Making history his story, Derek Izzy. You're listening to The Derek Izzy Show. Welcome back. As I spoke last month, I said this month's episode was going to be about a haunted house. Ladies and gentlemen... That's exactly what this month's podcast is about, a place called the Winchester Mystery House. There was a movie in 2018, a scary movie, about this mystery house. The plot of the movie was basically Sarah Winchester, the heir to the Winchester repeating arms fortune. Winchester was a very popular gun-making company back in the late 1800s. In the movie, Sarah Winchester was haunted by the spirits of everyone who was killed by a Winchester rifle. The spirits haunted her house, and the only way she could get away from them in the movie was to continue building rooms onto her house in order to escape. This Winchester mystery house to Sarah was simply her home. To give you a quick summary of what the house consisted of. Sarah Winchester conducted construction on the house from approximately 1886 to 1922. That is a long time. The house ended up finishing with 24,000 square feet, 10,000 windows, 2,000 doors, 160 rooms, 52 skylights, 47 stairways and fireplaces, 17 chimneys, 13 bathrooms, 6 kitchens. Cost approximately $5 million to build the house. In today's money, roughly $70-75 million. The story all started in 1837 when William Winchester was born in Baltimore, Maryland. In 1839... Sarah Pardee was born in New Haven, Connecticut. 1862, Sarah marries William Winchester, heir to the Winchester Repeating Arms Company. That was on September 30th in 1862. Four years later, they had a child in 1866. This is when tragedy would strike Sarah Winchester. Their only child dies five and a half weeks after being born. 1873, the Winchester Rifle Model 73, also known as the gun that won the West, comes out. Seven years later, Oliver Winchester, the head of the Winchester Repeating Arms Company, he dies, leaving the company to William, Sarah's husband. William is already sick. At this time, he's barely hanging on. He's got tuberculosis, and three months after Oliver dies... Sarah's husband, William, also dies in 1881. 
This puts Sarah in the position to inherit $20 million and 50% of the Winchester Repeating Arms stock. $20 million back in 1881, you're looking at a current day value of $500, $600 million. Imagine what it's like to inherit that kind of money all of a sudden. So from tragedy comes great wealth. Sarah Winchester decides to head west. The year is 1886. She purchases a two-story farmhouse near San Jose, California. She invites her favorite niece to come in and live with her. Now a little bit about Sarah Winchester. She was very intelligent. She spoke at least four languages. And she kind of fancied herself as someone who was very familiar with technology and design. This is where the rumors came in. Sarah liked to have the modern comforts that technology would provide. And back in the 1800s, it really wasn't a woman's job to build houses. And women weren't accepted in society when it came to using modern technology. That was really part of the man's world. Some of these feats of technology that Sarah Winchester had installed in the house, the house was heated. This was something that was extremely rare at the time. The house was equipped with three elevators. She had heated water, indoor plumbing. Now, in the movie, the constant construction on Sarah Winchester's house that happened until the day she died, the movie portrayed that as happening because she was haunted by the ghosts of all the people who died at the hands of the Winchester firearm. But there's also evidence that says that's not true at all. Firearms back in those days, it was very common for every family to have a, a Winchester rifle. People were killed by guns every day, and it wasn't really a big deal. This was the late 1800s. This was a version of the Wild West. As she writes in a note to her sister-in-law in 1898, in the middle of some serious construction on the house, she says, I am constantly having to make an upheaval for some reason. For instance... My upper hall, which leads to the sleeping apartment, was rendered so unexpectedly dark by a little addition that after a number of people had missed their footing on the stairs, I decided that safety demanded something be done. So was she really being haunted by spirits of dead people? Or was she just an eccentric, wealthy woman who liked to see what she could build, what she could design? One of the articles written about her was published in 1895 in the San Francisco Chronicle an article kind of started the mystery behind the Winchester Mystery House they reported the sound of the hammer is never hushed the reason for it is in Mrs. Winchester's belief that when the house is entirely finished she will die this leads the reader to believe that it's not ghosts that are haunting her it's actually the building of the house that is haunting her. She will die if she stops building onto the house. This could be another theory as to why the constant construction. However, to debunk this theory, there was a summer where she suspended construction because, in her opinion, it was just too hard to work. Construction was suspended for that summer. She was also very lonely. She didn't like to entertain people and she spent most of her time in the house alone. She was very eccentric like that. She also treated her employees very well. She had servants. 
She had construction workers, and she paid all of her employees very well. There was a going rate for the laborers of the day, and she always paid them more. She offered them food. She offered them places to stay. One of the theories is that the reason she continued to build was because the local economy was struggling at the time, and this was her way to provide work to the local people. There were plans to continue building. One of the plans was allegedly to have a castle complete with a moat and a drawbridge. When Mrs. Winchester died, she left most of her money to charity. Properties were auctioned, and she gave a good portion to her niece as well. Needless to say that after her death, construction on the mansion came to an abrupt halt. There were times when carpenters and laborers were working around the clock, through the night. Many of the things that they did seemed kind of pointless to outside onlookers. Staircases that went to nowhere, doors that would open into solid walls. There's one door that opens to a drop. Down below is the kitchen sink. When I spoke of her eccentricities, gold and silver chandeliers were brought in and hung from the ceilings. Stained glass windows by Tiffany and Company were all over the house. One of the windows was so valuable, it came with a price tag of $25,000. In today's money, that's roughly over $300,000. Over $300,000 for one window. In 1904, the house was hit by the earthquake. A significant portion of the house was damaged, and a lot of it is still there because she continued to build on other parts of the house. Sarah Winchester loved redwood. A large portion of the house was constructed from this redwood material, but she didn't like the way it looked. So in areas where there was visible redwood, she would add paint to change the coloring so she wouldn't have to see the actual redwood natural color. But there are also things in the house that kind of showed that Sarah Winchester may have had a spiritualistic supernatural side. Being mildly obsessed with a number 13, her windows had 13 panes, ceilings with 13 panels, staircases with 13 steps. Back in those days, superstition was very common. Even though Sarah Winchester died almost 100 years ago, little is really known about the reasoning behind the construction on the house. In 2016, a secret attic was discovered. Inside that attic, there was a pump organ, a Victorian-era couch, a sewing machine, and different paintings. Sarah Winchester was a very private person, which is probably why we don't know that much about her reasoning, but it also leads people to speculate. There are many conspiracy theories surrounding her life and the Winchester house. But in order to give you the kind of experience that you get here on the Derek Izzy Show, we're going to take you to the Winchester Mystery House in person here on the Derek Izzy Show. But first, what did you have to eat today? Was it Blue Apron? Let me tell you a little bit about Blue Apron. Blue Apron sends you all the ingredients, pre-portioned, step-by-step instructions, and pictures of what your meal is supposed to look like. It averages about $10 per person per meal. Everything comes boxed. It arrives at your front door. 
you open it up, you put everything in the fridge, and then as you decide to create your meal, you follow the instructions and you create restaurant-quality food. This stuff is amazing. I find myself being a picky eater. There's a lot of foods that I don't like, but with Blue Apron, you plan your meals in advance, and if there's something that you can see that's coming that you don't want to eat, you can just change it out. If they send you ingredients that you don't like, let's say they send you a dish and it calls for celery, onions, and mushrooms, and you don't like celery, you can just set the celery aside and not use it. The directions are really easy to follow, and the step-by-step, the pictures, it's it's just easy. It can turn any amateur into a gourmet chef. You can get your family together. The average meal takes 15 to 40 minutes or so to put together, and everything is healthy. You eat one meal, there might be 600 calories in it. They also have meals that are for certain restrictions. If you're vegan or have certain ingredients that you can't eat, you just plan it on the website and good food arrives at your door for you to create long-lasting memories with your family, making fresh restaurant-quality food on your own. If you want to get $60 off your first month's order, go to the link on DerekIzzy.com. Click on that Blue Apron link. Make your first order. Save $60 on your first month. And that really helps out the show a lot. So I want to thank you for doing that. And now, a live audio tour of the Winchester Mystery House. Sarah Winchester thought the confined web was the most significant symbol of the spirit world. She also had 13 moon songs put in that window. 13 being her favorite number. You're going to see in your references to that number as we continue the tour. Oh, there, you see those rolls and rolls of something? Wallpaper. Very expensive wallpaper. In those days, it went for $1.75 a square foot. But then today's money, that's like $40 to $50 a square foot. Above us, just nine feet above us, that's our next stop. And to get to that next stop, you're going to go up your staircase right here. I want to caution you. Be careful, because it's weird. And you're going to travel 100 feet up that weird staircase just to get to nine feet above us. So if you're willing, follow me. Four feet, ten inches tall, and you've got a mansion seven levels high. Easy Rider is a pretty convenient way for you to navigate your way around things. Now, you also have to understand this about Sarah Winchester. For most of her adult life, she suffered from arthritis. So the Easy Risers were another convenience in that regard, too. This is the hayloft, and up here you can see that uh, poster that shows many of the different patterns of that wallpaper that I'm telling you about, too. Uh, you're going to see actual application of that wallpaper throughout the tour as well. To get to our next stop, we're going past one of the 40 bedrooms in the mansion. Uh, in that bedroom, you're going to see furniture. This is furniture that did not belong to Sarah Winchester. In fact, none of the furniture that you're going to see on the tour did belong to her. These are things that have been donated by people over the years. That is representative of that time period, but it didn't belong to her. Her own personal furniture? Well, when she died, she bequeathed it to her favorite niece, Daisy. Now, Daisy kept what she wanted, but most of it, well, she simply auctioned it off. She didn't keep any records, but she did keep the money. Let's move on to that next stop. Now, folks, we're going to go down these stairs right here, and like those previous stairs, please be careful. Well, this is the last of the uh, 13 bathrooms that she built in her home. 13, there's that number again. But this was the only bathroom among those 13 that had a shower. 
hot water tank was kept uh, over there. The shower itself was right here. These were the adjustment valves for the water flow, including that thermostat to regulate the temperature of the water. Mrs. Winchester custom designed that shower for herself and only herself, so that all she had to do was step in there, stand between those U-shaped pipes with a very tiny pinhole openings, not move, she'd be wet from the neck down to her toes. Only trouble is, well, she never took advantage of that modern-day convenience. That's because she died before this room was completed. It's a 13th bathroom. Well, of course, it's got to have 13 windows. See those spider webs there at the top? There are six down below. There are four. That makes 10. That's 11. There's 12. And 13, that looks into another bedroom. And that's where we're going. Right through here. Uh, folks, I, I told you there was about, uh, well, there were our 40 bedrooms in the mansion. And at one time or the other, Mrs. Winchester slept in most of those bedrooms. But this bedroom right here was her main bedroom. And this was the bedroom in which she died on September 5th, 1922. She was 82 years old and she died from natural causes. Her funeral was held in Palo Alto, which is about 25 miles to the north here. Now, after her funeral, her body was then taken to New Haven, Connecticut, where she was buried next to her husband and next to her daughter. <coughs> now, I just told you about her death. Let me tell you about her life. She was born in New Haven, Connecticut in 1840. She was born to upper middle class summer well-to-do parents, Leonard and Sarah Pardee. Her father, Leonard Pardee, had developed a very successful woodworking business. And it was from that business that Sarah developed her own interest in woodwork and architectural design. She was a well-educated woman, too, who could speak four languages, including Spanish and Turkish, as well as French and English. She was also something of an accomplished musician. She could play the piano, the violin, and the organ. Now, in 1862, she married a childhood sweetheart, William Winchester, and a few years later, they had their first child, a daughter that they named Annie. Annie was born in 1866. Annie was also born with a disease of the digestive system. It's called marasmus, and it prevents you from digesting your food. Well, tragically, as you heard in the video, Annie died. But what you did not hear in that video is how she died. Folks, she just didn't die. She starved to death after living just six weeks. Needless to say, this devastated both Sarah and William to the point they never had any more children after Annie. Well, she loses her first and only child in 1866, and that is the beginning of a whole series of family losses for Sarah Winchester. A few years after losing her daughter Annie, she loses her father, Leonard Pardee. He died in 1869. A few years later, she loses her mother, Sarah Pardee. She died in May of 1880. And then after losing both her parents, well, a short time later, she loses her father-in-law, Oliver Winchester, the founder of the Winchester Company, and a man that she greatly admired. He died in December of 1880. That was seven months after her mother had died. And three months later, she suffers the worst loss of all. She loses her beloved husband, William Winchester. He died in March 1881 at the age of 43. And again, as you heard in the video, he died from tuberculosis. But again, what you did not hear in that video is what she did after he died. From that point on, Sarah Winchester waged war against tuberculosis. And in that war, she used her fortune as a weapon to fight tuberculosis. She donated to numerous charities, including nearly $2 million for the construction of a hospital in New Haven next to Yale. She named that hospital after her husband. She dedicated it to the research and the treatment of tuberculosis. Now, from that litany of death I just laid out for you, well, you can better understand now why Sarah Winchester thought she may have been cursed and haunted by all those spirits.
Well, let me tell you a couple of things about this room now. It's got some wonderful examples of that wallpaper in the ceiling as well as the walls. And even that curved portion, folks, that's all wallpaper right there. Just outside those double doors, you'll find an electric elevator. That was installed sometime in 1916. It doesn't work, but it's still there. Yeah, that's enough for this room, folks. Let's go find another one. Welcome to the seance room. Ever so often, at midnight, the West Tower bell would ring. And that would summon the spirits into this room where Sarah Winchester was seated at a small table. Now, these would be the spirits of her dead relatives. They would talk for a couple of hours into the night. Well, you can believe that story, or you can dismiss that story. But what you cannot dismiss is that this room indeed was the seance room. And what you cannot dismiss is that Sarah Winchester indeed was a spiritualist who believed in spirits. Like a lot of women at that time of her background, her social standing, her education, they all believed that the seance was a scientific means by which you could bridge the gap between the living and the dead. Now, on the other hand, Sarah Winchester was also a religious woman. She was a Christian woman. She was a member of the Episcopal Church. Interesting thing about the seance room, it has just one entrance. It's got three exits. <laughs> one exit. Well, of course, you could certainly go back through the same door you just came through. A second exit. Excuse me. Go over to that door. Open it up. Take a step out. But if you did, you would immediately drop eight feet down to the kitchen below. That's why it's locked. <laughs> a third exit? Come over this door. Undo the latch. Pull open the door. Step into what at one time was a secret passageway. You'll notice there's no latch on the other side of that door. So once you were out of here, you were out of here. And you know what? I think it's time we were out of here. Follow <laughs> oh, me. Hey, plus that little room we just walked through, that was a dressing room that she was building but never finished with a two adjoining bedrooms. And you may have noticed pipes in the ceiling. You got a little room. You noticed pipes in the ceiling of this room. Pipes are all over the house. They were installed in 1949 as a requirement by the city of San Jose for fire protection. And by the way, those suckers, they snake seven and a half miles throughout this big place of hers. You know, Sarah Winchester loved the garden, and she imported plants from all over the world to fill her gardens, both on the outside where she had 18 acres dedicated to her gardens, and on the inside where she had two rooms built. She had one on the south side of the house, and she had this one on the north side. And like every woman imagined, except for one, she personally designed each and every one of those rooms. And the design that she gave to this room, the north side solarium, it's kind of unique. And uh, yeah, let me explain. When a gardener would come in here to tend to the plants, the first thing he would do is to lift up these sections of wood and put them aside. Now underneath this wood, you're going to find this metal core. Well, this metal is zinc. Now she chose zinc because she knew that zinc was darn near rust proof. So the gardener would come in here, take all the plants, put them in that uh, zinc core, grab a hose, hook it up to the spigot in that little utility sink, and he'd water the plants. Now, as you know, when you water your own plants, there's always an overflow of water, right? Sarah Winchester anticipated that overflow. She had her carpenters build this floor, you got it, and slope. <laughs> so that overflow would just run down that sloping floor underneath this counter there to drainage openings. Now, from those drainage openings, the water would then just wind its way down through a series of pipes to collection points on the first floor. And therefore, that water could be reused. Both Sarah Winchester aided to waste water. She also put in that hydraulic elevator over there in the corner. That's one of two such elevators that she had. That one was built for the gardeners. 
one comes up to this floor. And she put in this heater. This heater would bring hot air up from the furnace down in the basement. That hot air would be used during the winter time to warm the plants in here. Speaking of hot air, it's one of the hall of fires. All right, before I tell you about the, about, about the hall of fires, well, let me explain something, okay? The door with the window in the bathroom, folks, it's not original. We put it in ourselves just to show our guests, folks like you, that's the bathroom. The original door was solid wood and it afforded the appropriate amount of privacy in the bathroom. Let me be uh, clear about this. Sarah Winchester was many things, folks, but she was not a boy yet, okay? All right. Hall of Fires. It's called the Hall of Fires because it's got seven sources of heat. It's got four fireplaces, each one in its original condition. There's one down there on the left. There's one right here in the center. There's two more in there, one on the left hand, one on the right. Now, along with the four fireplaces, she also installed three hot air registers. Hot air registers are sort of like heating vents in the walls and floors. In fact, there's one in the wall just above the floor down there. There's one in the floor right here. There's a third one in the floor of that room on the right. This is called the Hall of Fires. But occasionally it was known as something of a therapy room for Mrs. Winchester. On those days when her arthritis was particularly painful, she'd come in here, sit down, maybe lay down. One of her servants would then fire up one, two, maybe all of those sources of heat. That heat would then just radiate against her body and do wonders towards easing the pain of her arthritis. Now from here, we're going there. I gotta ask this question. Anybody see the movie? Anyway, hey, remember Marion in the movie? Yeah, she was the niece, okay? And um, uh, I call her Daisy, that was her nickname. Her formal name was Marion. And um, uh, she was that, that niece, that favorite niece who inherited most of the estate uh, after Sarah died. Anyway, that's her photograph over there. Now, Daisy, it, it interesting. Interesting story about Daisy. Now, Daisy, uh, uh, she was the daughter of Sarah Winchester's younger sister, Isabella Bell. Bell and her husband, a guy named Louis Merriman, they lived in Mountain View, which is about 10 to 15 miles to the north here. Now, apparently, Daisy did not get along with her uh, parents, especially her father. So, for a number of years, beginning in 1890 until she got married in 1903, Daisy lived with her Aunt Sarah. And while she lived here, she served as something of a personal secretary, personal assistant. Something like they were real close to each other too. In fact, you could almost make a case that Daisy was uh, Sarah Winchester's best friend too. Now, while Daisy lived here, this is the bedroom in which she stayed. This is the Oriental bedroom, and it's called the Oriental bedroom naturally enough because well, it's got an Oriental decor to it. That wallpaper that you see at the top that was handmade and hand painted in Japan and then imported by Mrs. Winchester, just as she imported the bamboo used to frame that fireplace over there in the corner. Now, Sarah Winchester had a great admiration for the Asian culture and the Asian people, and she wanted a set of rooms that reflected that admiration. But she went beyond just building rooms, folks. She also hired Asians. At a time in the Santa Clara Valley when there was a decided anti-Asian attitude, and that included the no hiring of Asians. But did that pay Sarah Winchester? Not on your life. Sarah Winchester was whoa, uh, perhaps the only person of her social stature in the Santa Clara Valley in those years that did hire Asians. And she had about 10 on her staff, including a gentleman by the name of Tommy Nishahara. Now, Mr. Nishahara was her chief gardener, and he was so devoted to Mrs. Winchester. You know what he did, Zoe? No, that's why you're on my tour to find out. Here. <laughs> Mr. Nishahara took the uh, Winchester name, he gave it as a middle name for his granddaughter. Aww. Such was his devotion. 
Well, let's go to the living room now. When you get there, we're going to cruise through the south salon in here. There's a set of double doors over there on the right. Those double doors open up into the sun porch. Sun porch, you can get right back to her bedroom. But we're going to the linen room. Let's go up here, folks, to the linen room. Now, this is the linen room. This is where she kept her bath and bedroom linens. Interesting thing about the linen room, folks, it's not the linens, it's the wood. The wood in these cabinets, the door frames, the doors themselves. It's got that blonde look to it. It reminds you of maplewood. It's not maplewood, it's redwood. It's California redwood. Sarah Winchester loved the durability and strength of redwood. She built most of her mansion from that wood. You know the interesting thing about redwood, folks? Well, apparently termites do not like the taste of redwood. That's because it's poisonous to them. So if you use redwood, you're not going to have any termites. Now, as I said, she loved that wood, but she didn't care much for the way it looked in this room. And so remembering the days in which she helped out in her father's woodworking business, she went out and bought these special tools that enabled the carpenters to change the look of the grain, to give it a smoother look, a look with less knots in it. And then after changing the grain, she had a carpenters change the color by applying the, uh, this blonde stain to make it even more appear to be maple. But it's not maple, it's redwood. As you can tell by that dark coloring underneath the stain on the edge of this cabinet right here, and one over in the opposite corner. Uh, folks, we're going to move on, and as we do, we'll be passing by the most expensive window in the mansion. Just how expensive is it, you ask? Well, when Mrs. Winchester bought that beautiful and very unique window, she paid $1,500 for it. Now, $1,500 in those days has the equivalency today of approximately $40,000. That's one expensive window, folks, and it's just around the corner here. Be on, the, uh, uh, on your left at the second staircase. You can't miss it. Hey, folks, that area that you walked through uh, just a few minutes ago, uh, that was an area in which she was in the process of remodeling into another set of bedrooms. But that remodeling project of hers, well, it came to a very sudden, very abrupt stop yeah. on the morning of April 18, 1906, 5.12 a.m. And as you recall from your history, that's the date of the great San Francisco earthquake. And that earthquake almost destroyed her mansion. It severely damaged that area, along with a number of other rooms. It also knocked down that big three-level tower that she had built. Well, she had plans to rebuild that big three-level tower, and just as she had plans to begin a new and complete remodeling of that area. But she started neither project. And there's a couple of possibilities that might explain why. And that brings us to this one. Folks, why don't you come back in here now? Now, this is the daisy bedroom, and it's called the daisy bedroom because of those beautiful windows and doors. They've got the daisy flower in them. That was one of her more favorite flowers, too. And by the way, those beautiful windows and doors, those were handcrafted in Vienna, Austria. Now, before the 1906 earthquake, the daisy bedroom was a very beautiful, very elegant bedroom suite. And then the earthquake came. And this is what it looked like right after the earthquake. And this is what it's looked like ever since the earthquake. So the question is why? Why did she leave this beautiful room in such disrepair? And why didn't she complete the remodeling of that area? Just as why didn't she rebuild that big tower that's shown in these two photographs right here? And by the way, that big tower is located about 100 feet to the north here. Well, as I said, there's a couple of possibilities that might explain why she left everything like this. The first one that you might consider is that Sarah Winchester may have taken the earthquake as simply a message from those spirits telling her that she had spent too much time, way too much money, building and furnishing this side of her mansion, the east side, 
Now, in total, she spent about five and a half million dollars constructing this massive house of hers. But three million dollars of that total was devoted to the east side. So she may have thought that the spirits were telling her, by way of the earthquake, that's enough, Sarah. The other possibility you might consider, 1906. Sarah Winchester was 66 years old. She had spent 20 years of her life, nearly a third of her life, building this beautiful home, only to see it almost destroyed in a matter of minutes. Now, she was 66 years old, folks. She was approaching her senior years. She was tired. Certainly wasn't in the best of health either. And that earthquake almost defeated her will to continue. Still, she did continue. She came to a decision. That decision was based on one of the two possibilities that I just described. Her decision, she decided to do nothing, absolutely nothing to all of those rooms damaged on the east side. That's why she didn't complete the remodeling of that area. That's why she didn't rebuild that big tower. And that's why she didn't restore the daisy bedroom to its original grand elegance. As I said, she simply went to her carpenters and told them, leave everything on the east side as it is, board it up, and move on. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to move on up to the third floor. But before we do, let me add something about this room for you. Now, as it so happened, this was the bedroom in which Mrs. Winchester was sleeping the night of the earthquake. She was trapped in here for a good hour or so, too. You see the door frame at the top, folks? See how it's damaged? That damage resulted in that door being jammed shut so tight, she couldn't open it up and escape her own. Took her servants a good hour, at least, for them to make their way through all of the rubble, all of the damage from the earthquake. And remember, folks, at that time of the morning, it was still practically pitch black. So it took them some time to find this room. But then once they did find this room, they had to find a tool so they could pry open that door and free Mrs. Winchester. So, folks, we're going to uh, go up to the uh, third floor now, and I'm going to take a chance. Uh, no, we're not going to go up to the third floor now. We'll go up to the third floor. That's where I tell you about the servants. I love talking about the servants. I hate talking about the servants on the third floor because it's small up there. It's postage stamp small. And I've got a big group here. And so for, you know, just for your comfort and, and much more for your enjoyment, I'm just going to tell you about the third floor right here. doesn't mean we're not going up there. We'll go up there. But I'm going to tell you about the third floor right here. Okay? Um, I can do that. I can do that. I'm, boy, this weekend with Memorial Day, no way can I do this. Uh, so anyway, the third floor is that's where the servants, her employees, if you will, that's where they live. And I want to emphasize just how devoted her servants were to Mrs. Winchester. They all felt a deep sense of responsibility and care for her. And she would pay them in kind. Mrs. Winchester paid her employees at least $3 a day, which in those days, that was more than double the going rate. And to put that $3 a day in some kind of comparison with today's money, that's like $75 to $80 a day. So they were pretty well paid. In fact, some of her employees made upwards of $10 a day. Now, along with a good pay, though, she provided other benefits. She provided a place for them to live, if need be, right here. She provided food for them to eat. If they were sick or injured, she provided medical care for them. Now, she provided all of that free of charge. So the $3 a day that they earned, and believe me, they earned it. That was simply spending money for most of them. It's what I like to call walking around town money. She had something like 40 to 50 employees, including about 15 carpenters. So she had a big staff. Of course, she had a big house, too. So. Now, the other thing about the third floor, there's a photograph, and you'll see this photograph. 
of some of a workman. And I, as your tour guide, I'm supposed to point out that photograph to everybody. I'm supposed to tell you a story about the, uh, one of the uh, workmen on the far right. And I'll point that out to you. Uh, about uh, a story about how if you've got those Explore More tour tickets, those tickets to take you down in the basement. And when you're down in the basement, you might see something of that workman. You know, something of a spirit, an apparition, something like that. Folks, I don't tell that story. I don't tell that story because I don't do basement chores. I just do the mansion chore. So I don't know anything about the basement. And I certainly don't know anything about that young man and his spirit down in the basement either. But I've heard stories. I've heard many stories. And perhaps the most telling story I ever heard happened about three months ago. I had a woman on my tour. She was, oh, I don't know, what, 35, 40 years old? She was down from Lake Tahoe with a friend of hers. They were taking a tour at Winchester House. My tours, it turned out to be. And so we were about to, oh, no, wait, wait, wait. The other thing about this woman, she was blind, okay? As I, said, uh, we, as I said, we were about to wrap up things, and uh, I was, you know, wrapping things up, and I was about to walk away. And then her friend raised his hand. He said, hey, she's got a question. So I turned around and walked over to her, and I said, yes, ma'am, what's your question? And she said, have you ever seen her? Now, folks, I get asked that question all the time. Have you ever seen Mrs. Winchester? Have you ever seen anything of the supernatural in the Winchester house? Well, I gave her my usual answer, which is a true answer. I said, no, ma'am, I've never seen anything of Mrs. Winchester. I told her that. I thought that was that. I was about to walk away. And then she looked at me with those blind eyes of hers, and she said, you want to know where we picked her up and where we dropped her off? I wasn't about to walk away. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, I first felt her presence as we walked into the seance room. I could sense her standing right next to me as you talked about the seance room. And then as we walked throughout the house, she was walking with us. She walked into the same rooms that you let us into and talked about. And then as we were climbing the steps to the third floor, I felt that presence of Mrs. Winchester slip off into the air. Now, folks, I don't know if I believe what she said or not, but I do know this. She believed what she said. And I've heard, heard enough stories like that. It makes one pause and wonder about those stories and what's been said about this house. Now, you can think what you want. You can believe what you want. True story, folks. A true story. Let's move on. Well, folks, this is the fourth floor of the mansion. This is the highest point of the mansion today. And it gives you a good bird's eye view of the estate and the surrounding buildings, including the West Tower Bell through that window right there. That's a bell that you re uh, recall that would uh, summon the spirits into the seance room. Today, that bell is rung every uh, September the 5th to mark the passing of Mrs. Winchester. It's also rung every Friday the 13th for obvious reasons. And when it's rung, it's rung 13 times, too. You know, when Sarah Winchester died, her estate measured out to 162 acres. Well, today, well, today it's not quite as big. Today, it measures out to a paltry four and a half acres. I don't know what that means. Growth of civilization or just plain urban sprawl or whatever it is, her estate is not quite as big as it once was. You see the chimney right here? You see the ceiling that she built over the top of that chimney? She built that ceiling over the top of that chimney and she built it on purpose. Her purpose? Well, she thought that if she blocked off the chimney, she'd be able to keep the spirits from coming into her home. I don't know if it worked, but I do know that the uh, two fireplaces that were connected to that chimney, they did not work. Mm -hmm. But she did build it that way just the same. 
Now, folks, we're going to go down to the first floor. You're going to find it's cool down there, too. And to get there, we're going to go out here on the left. There's a low-hanging doorway. Please watch your head as you go through that low-hanging doorway. That room right there. That's her aviary. That's where she kept her birds. She had a lot of birds. She had a lot of uh, tropical birds. She also had a little pet dog. There was a little dog, a little stray dog came looking for a home. Mrs. Manchester gave that little stray dog a home. She also gave it a name. She called it Zip. And she had two horses for her carriage. She named those two horses Charlie and Mr. Blackbeak. You know, uh, folks, Sarah Winchester came out here to the uh, Santa Clara uh, Valley in the uh, winter of 1885-86, sometime between December and February of those two months. And this was after she had lost her family. Well, she came out to California essentially to start a new life. And in doing so, she began looking for a place to live. Well, she found this small farm. It was only about 45 acres with an equally small farmhouse. And uh, it was about eight rooms there, this farmhouse there. But for the next 38 years, Sarah Winchester worked at changing that small farm into this huge estate. And the changes she made were nothing if not dramatic. She started building her mansion right here at the back of that little farmhouse. And she extended things almost 125 feet to the west. And then she went to the front of the house. She extended the front another 50 to 60 feet to the east. Now, as I said, the changes she made to that farm were nothing if not dramatic. If the previous owner of that farm came here to visit his old place, well, he'd probably recognize just one thing of his old place. These steps right here. These are the original steps leading from his back porch to what was then his backyard. Folks, just imagine yourself 140 years ago, standing exactly where you are now. You'd be standing in that backyard of his in the dirt and the grass. As you stood there looking around, you would see open farmland. You would see open sky. And then she bought the place and made all those changes. You don't have to imagine those changes, folks. You've been looking at them for the last 45 minutes. And as you've seen, those are very big very dramatic changes. Now we're going to move on now and move up these steps right here or you can turn around open up that little door go up the last of the easy risers. Either way you're going to end up in the same place. <laughs> oh this is the laundry room and don't be looking for any lady Kenmores or Maytags in here you're not going to find any. But that doesn't mean Mrs. Winchester did try to make things efficient and easy for the servants who worked in her laundry room. You know rather than provide them with these big bulky metal wash tubs to do the laundry in like so many people had to use back in those days. She put in that hot water tank and then she designed this arrangement of sinks with these very big, very thick porcelain sinks. And then she had a carpenters build this very sturdy oak frame in which those big, thick porcelain sinks were installed. Then she went to her plumbers, had her plumbers put in the taps. They provided water, cold water, hot water, drying water. So you can see from this arrangement just how efficient and easy was for the servants to do the laundry in here. Now, of course, from your 21st century perspective, when you push by an automatic washers and dryers, you're probably looking at this and thinking, who is he kidding? This room is practically primitive. 117 years ago, folks, this room right here, it was state-of-the-art in terms of laundry. Let's go out this way now. Quite frankly, folks, Sarah Winchester did not like visitors. She did not want visitors. She certainly did not encourage visitors either. But part of the reason for that is that she had become very self-conscious about the effects that the arthritis was having on her body. 
particularly with her hands and her fingers, so, uh, which were starting to curl over. So as I said, she rarely had visitors. The only real visitors she had, for the most part, were business people and relatives, too. Just as an aside to this, uh, this thing, too, you, you may you know, interesting how she got along with her, uh, uh, with her neighbors. Uh, not well. Her neighbors did not like Sarah Winchester. They resented Sarah Winchester. And for a couple of reasons. Now, the first one is uh, this interesting story that I only tell it a few times, so too. Anyway, the first reason they didn't like her or resented her was because they looked upon Sarah Winchester as this very rich Eastern woman who came out to the West uh, and built this huge uh, estate uh, just to show off her wealth. They resented her for that. They thought it was just a little bit showy. Okay, in Austin, Texas. The other reason that she, uh, they resented her was because the money that was used to uh, build this huge house of hers uh, was um, uh, revenue from the sale of the Winchester rifle. Her neighbors considered that money to be blood money. But they resented her for that as well, too. So even in that thing, California was pretty blue by gun laws, huh? <laughs> <laughs> See the uh, door right there, folks? Oh, yeah. That's where she kept her safe. Interesting safe. It was a safe within a safe. And when the executors of a will came down to open up those safes, they did so very eagerly. But they found just three things. They found the obituary of her husband, the obituary of her daughter, and a lock of her daughter's hair. And you can't find a better example than that that defines the depths of the grief that she felt for her lost family. These two windows right here are either side of the fireplace. Each one has a quote from a different Shakespearean play. Now over on the left it says, Why unclasp the tables of their thoughts? That's from Toilets and Questioner. Over on the right it says, We sing thoughts, people this little world. That was taken from King Richard II. Now we can't tell you today why she chose those particular quotes, simply because we don't know her thinking as to why she did. But I've often thought about those quotes, and it's become my thinking that those two quotes really represented Mrs. Winchester's own troubled thoughts about how her once great world, and believe me, Sarah Winchester lived in a great world of travel and art and music and big business, big people. But with all the tragedy in her family, that once great world of hers, well, it just seemed to come crashing down on her and eventually surrounded her with nothing but sadness Loneliness. Now again, that's my own personal interpretation. You folks probably come up and you all have to give us some thought. Oh, folks, this is the pantry area. This is the area that has the smallest and the largest cabinets in the mansion. When you open up, you can see just how small it is. It is small. It is quite small. Actually, it's not even that big. It's just downright tiny. But still, you know, it's got depth there. You can put something in there. I don't know what, though. Recipes might come to mind. Well, after a servant filled up that tiny cabinet, she probably turned to Mrs. Winchester and said, you're going to need a bigger cabinet. Well, she had a bigger cabinet. Yes, she had a bigger cabinet. She had the entire West End of her mansion for her cabinet. Don't look to me for an explanation. I don't have one. I don't even have a bad joke for this. That's just the way it was in 1923 when you first started running towards the Did everybody see this? Yeah. Did folks in the back see this? Yeah, it, it, it is, uh, it faces a, um, uh, open window. 
It's not open, but it's, that's called a swimming area. Now we blocked it off all that, but the, the, the purpose was that was when you have guests in the, in, in the music world, the guests would pull over to that open area and the, uh, the servants would be over there bringing like refreshments that they got. So they go through there and go up to that serving window. That's blocked off now. It's got those curtains there. Anyway, follow me. Folks, that's the last of the six kitchens that you built in your home. And this one is built shortly after the 1906 earthquake. And to give you an idea of where you are on the tour in relation to where you've been on the tour, if you look up there, you'll see the seance room. That's a room you recall where you open up the door and you fall into the kitchen. That's a little kitchen right over there. As I said, this kitchen right here was built shortly after the 1906 earthquake. And it became the most commonly used kitchen from then on. And when the cooks had finished preparing a meal, they took that meal and put it on a little tray. Come over here, slide open the door, place that little tray on the counter. There'd be a servant on the other side of those lead lined glass doors. They'd open up those doors, pick up that tray, take a servant to Mrs. Winchester, who was sitting by herself in the Venetian dining room. And folks, you all know they made a movie about Sarah Winchester in her big house here. Uh, the uh, uh, movie makers, they were here in the springtime. They were here for about a week, and they were doing some filming here. Uh, mainly, it was uh, exterior filming. They did some interior, but primarily they were here to do some uh, exterior filming, too. Uh, the bulk of the movie was filmed in Australia. It's an Australian film company. And I remember them being here about a year ago in January in the front of the house, and they were taking measurements of the front of the house. I asked them about it, and they just said, well, we're going to build a duplicate of the front of the house uh, for a movie lot in Australia, too. By the way, these costumes right here that you see, these are real things, folks. These are the actual costumes that were worn by the actors and actresses in the movie. Uh, too, so. uh, folks, I hope you enjoyed the uh, tour as much as I enjoyed showing it to you. I hope you enjoyed the tour. I just want to thank everyone for listening to The Derek Izzy Show. You can form your own opinion on whether Sarah Winchester was personally haunted by ghosts in her mansion, or whether she was just eccentric. I leave that up to you to draw your own conclusions. Thank you for listening to The Derek Izzy Show. Remember, write a review on iTunes. Give us five stars. It helps to grow the show, the listening audience. And I am proud to say we are now on Spotify. So you can listen to The Derek Izzy Show using the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or free on DerekIzzy.com. Go to DerekIzzy.com for all of the sponsors. Click on the links, take advantage of the special deals, and thank you in advance because when you do that, the show receives funding and then we can continue bringing you monthly podcasts and adding some joy and education to your life. Because now you know the rest of the story. Good day.